Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So recently I got to do something that's kind of always been on my bucket list. Uh, you know what a bucket list is? Of course you do. Uh, thing you do before you kick the bucket is the way that that's described. Um, and so one of the things that's always been on my bucket list, always want to do this, is, uh, you know, I grew up a huge sports fan, love football, love basketball. I always wanted to go watch a basketball game in a place called Cameron Indoor Stadium, right? Cameron Indoor Stadium is where the Duke Blue Devils play basketball, and it's an iconic type of uh, arena. Uh, it's up there with like Wrigley, uh, Wrigley uh, Stadium or Lambeau Field, something like that. Like this is an iconic type place. And so I was in North Carolina a few weeks ago, had the rare opportunity to actually buy some tickets that were affordable and because uh, only like 9,000 people make it into Cameron Indoor for, for games. And so we went and we went to a game and it was fantastic. I took that picture right there. You can't get that on the internet. That's on my phone. I took that picture, right? Incredible moment. I loved every second of being there. Um, but of course, I'm not from North Carolina, never been there. In fact, that was my first trip. And so going to Duke, we didn't know what to expect at all. And so we finally found a place to park. We drove around forever. There's traffic everywhere. Finally found a place to park. And um, turns out, I feel like we were like 15 miles away from the stadium on this walk that we had to go on. And so we, we parked and we just started following everybody else wearing their Duke uh, shirts and stuff, just hoping that they were actually going to the basketball game like we were. And uh, it was nighttime, so it was dark and we're just walking this campus and I felt like it was all uphill, every bit of it, the whole 15 miles, you know. I've always grew up hearing about people having to walk to school uphill both ways. The kids at Duke, man, they mean it, right? Like this is an uphill, walk. And so we're walking. We're like, man, are we ever going to get there? No sign of it anywhere. And finally we come over this ridge and there it is. Like there's Cameron indoor. It's like a spotlight was on it. I mean, it's just all lit up. We walked through uh You know, if you've ever basketball fans, you're with me right now. Everybody else, you're just kind of glazed over, but just hang with me for a minute. Um, so like walking through there where coach K, where they all camp out before the games and stuff like that. And just an incredible moment. It's all lit up like a city on a hill, you know? And as soon as we get there, as soon as we get inside, it made that whole walk worth it. You know what I mean? Like it was, I even, I forgot about the walk at that point. Like it was, it was all worth it. And so you're sitting there like, I don't care about basketball, move on, right? The point of that is this, the path was hard, but the destination was worth it. Like we got there and it was absolutely worth it. And so maybe you've experienced something like that. Um, if you've ever been on like a, on a long hike that was really difficult or something like that and it's tough and you're sweating and you're kind of getting cranky and then you get to the lookout spot and it's all worth it, you know what I mean? Or maybe if you've ever been on like a weight loss journey and, and it was tough and it was difficult but you get to the end, you see results and it was worth it or if you like to smoke barbecue or something like that, like it's a journey, it takes hours and hours and prep and check in on things and you stay home all day to watch it and all that, but then you finally get to eat what you made and it's incredible, right? The path was difficult, but the destination was worth it. And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. That's what we're gonna see, that the, that the path is often difficult, but the destination is worth it, right? Before we jump into the text, I want us to pray 
And so I'm gonna pray for all of us. And why don't you take just a moment right where you're at to pray for yourself and those around you that God would speak to them in this moment. Let's all pray together. God, we ask that you would use this moment, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would do what only you can do. Uh, everything that I can't do. I can't uh, say anything that would cause any kind of life change or any kind of real impact past about 30 seconds after walking out of these doors. And so God, we're asking that you would speak and that you would move in our hearts and that we would have ears to hear, hearts to hear and follow and listen, and that we would be obedient to what you're calling us to this morning. Would you help us? We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, in John chapter 12, the first few verses of our passage, and starting in verse 20, really kind of sets the context for what's happening. So I want to just read the first few verses, set some context, and then our main passage is going to be a little bit further down. But look at verse 20 with me. John says, Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. All right, circle that, highlight that, underline that. That's the main thing that's being asked in this passage. We want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip then went and told Jesus. Let's pause there for a second because I want to, again, I want to set some context for us here. Do you remember after, um, it was two weeks ago, whenever we talked about the raising of Lazarus in chapter 11? Um, amazing story, Right? But John doesn't immediately flash us to a celebration moment. Instead, uh, the, the, what follows right after Lazarus is raised and Jesus says, help him take off the grave clothes, is um, there's a moment where John kind of zooms in on the religious leaders, the Pharisees and uh, Caiaphas, and they're talking about the fact that this Jesus is gonna draw a crowd. And they don't want that to happen, right? It's gonna, it's gonna challenge their authority. It's gonna mess them up big time. And so they actually say, in John eleven fifty three, let's kill him. Okay, they don't want him to draw a crowd. They're they're afraid of what Jesus is going to do, so they decide to kill him. In our passage this morning, in John chapter twelve, um, if you were to back up a few verses in like in your Bible, you probably see that there's a section there called the triumphal entry. All right, and, and the triumphal entry is uh, it's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. It's the day um, that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. He comes from the east, rides through the east gate, goes right to the temple. There's all kinds of symbolism going on there that I don't have any time right now to unpack. Uh, but he's doing a big thing there. He's declaring loudly and boldly to everyone that the king has come, okay? But the thing that John does is he focuses on the crowd, that there's a massive crowd that has come to Jesus. And, and, and he talks about it. It's actually the crowd that was there with the whole Lazarus thing, Right? And, and he says that they were in the streets and they were shouting out. They were saying, Hosanna, which means God heal us or God save us. So they're shouting Hosanna and they're saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. That's what they're saying in the streets. And then look at, at, at chapter 12, verse 19. John zooms in on the Pharisees having a conversation. In the streets, the celebration's going on. Jesus is riding into town and the, and the Pharisees say this. They look at one another and they say, you see, You've accomplished nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. So they're saying we weren't successful in trying to capture him or silence him or kill him. And now the whole world is going after him. And so whenever John opens the very next verse, our passage this morning, verse 20, and it says some Greeks were there, <laughs> that's a big moment, right? John is wanting us to understand that that is significant, 
that the Greeks were among those who were worshiping at the festival. These are Greeks, they're not Jews, all right? They're, they are not uh, Greek-speaking Jews, which we would call Hellenistic Jews, that's not who this is. These are actual Greeks coming from far away uh, land. Basically the point is this, they're not Jews, they're what we would call Gentiles, which is us. <laughs> We're all Gentiles, okay? Uh, we are not Jewish people. Uh, and so that's, that's what's happening here. He's mentioning that the Greeks are there and we see that they're seekers. They're looking for the truth. They go to the festival looking for Jesus. And, and, and John wants us to know that what the Pharisees were afraid of, saying the whole world has gone after him, well, it's happening. <laughs> it's happening. The Greeks show up there. The world is coming to Jesus. And they say in verse 21 and 22, they make a request. And the request is this. Hey, we want to see Jesus. We want to see him. We, we want to see him ourselves. And so Philip and Andrew go and tell Jesus about that. And Jesus doesn't set up a meeting. He's not like, yeah, cool. Bring him here. Let's have some lunch. Jesus responds in a very Jesus-y way. And it makes not a lot of sense to us at first glance. Right? As you've been in this series, we've seen Jesus say some odd things on the surface. But whenever you dig into them, they're very complex and, and show us huge amounts of truth. What he's essentially going to say is this small group of Greeks isn't necessarily going to see me, but, but the path that I'm walking, right, the destination, the, the path that I'm walking is going to be difficult, but it's leading to the destination where not just these Greeks see, but all the world sees, okay? That the, that the path is difficult, but the destination is worth it. Okay, so now with that context, with that setting, let's look at verse 23 together. This is our main section. We're gonna look at the next four verses together and break it down um, together. Verse 23, Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, they ask to see Jesus, and he gives them all of that. <laughs> it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, on the surface, it's very confusing. And I'll be honest with you, this sermon, this text, all of it this week has just been like, it's very complicated, it's very confusing, and I've wrestled with, like, how do we just make this simple? How do we bite-size piece this to where we walk out? And it's like, man, I think we've got to look at it in the complexity of what he's saying in order to understand the full weight and the full beauty of what he's saying. So, what I'm saying is, buckle in, <laughs> get out a pen, take some notes, because we're going to kind of get into some stuff here, but we're going to come out on the other side seeing that his destination is worth it. Right, the, the path may be difficult, but the destination is worth it. So I'm gonna show you four paths that we see in this, in this text that are difficult, but lead to a glorious destination. Number one, we see the path of the cross leads to glory. The path of the cross leads to glory. In verse 23, it's kind of the main thing that he says is the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In order, for, in order for people to see, that's the, that's the request, in order for people to see Jesus, Jesus is going to have to walk a painful path. The destination he's talking about is his glorification, 
his glory being seen. Now glorify is not something that we're probably very familiar with. Like it's a, it's a Bible word that we probably use, probably have heard, but we're not really sure what it means if we were being honest. So the Greek word for glorify is the word doxa. And that word means brightness or beauty or fame. And so I think if we could, if we could substitute in our word spotlight, I think it makes a lot of sense. Right? So if you've ever been to a show like at the theater or something like that, you know that there's the person who operates the spotlight. And their job is to keep that light on the main person who's doing the talking or the, the main acting, and, and we want to follow them, right? Or if you think of how our culture uses the word spotlight, it's thinking like Taylor Swift is in the spotlight. Everything she does, people are, people are watching what she does. Or, or the person who hits that game-winning shot, they are in the spotlight. Basically, all eyes on them. They are all eyes on them. And that's the idea here, that the destination is for all eyes to be on Jesus, for him to be in the spotlight, for all to see. They all want to see Jesus, so he's going to be in the spotlight. But in order for him to get there, he's going to have to walk a very difficult path. He says that the hour has come. That's how he starts that statement. The hour has come. And it's like, but what hour is he talking about? Is he, is he saying it's almost lunchtime? Like, what, what's, what's he talking about here? What hour? Well, the, the hour, the moment he's talking about is the moment he's going to lay down his life as the good shepherd. You remember John 10? The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He's clearly talking about the moment where he's going to suffer and die. And John plainly says in verse 33, he's talking about the cross. That's what he's talking about. Look at verse 32 and 33. Jesus says, as for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself, which holds a lot of weight in the context of the Greek people asking to see Jesus. I'm going to be lifted up for all people to see me. And John narrates in verse 33 and says he's talking about the death he was about to die. He's talking about the cross. And so we know, like, what we celebrate, what we believe as Christian people. We've come here this morning to worship. We saw it uh, illustrated through baptism this morning uh, of Jesus' uh, death in our place. Like, he, he lived a life that we couldn't live. He went to a cross. He willingly laid down his life for us. He died a death that we should have died. They put him in a tomb because he's dead, and three days later, he raises from the dead, and he's offering us life in that moment. He walks around on earth for 40 days, revealing himself to people and proving that he's really alive. He's not like some ghost or, or something like that. And then he ascends into heaven in front of 500 witnesses or more and goes to be with the Father. In that moment, he's what we would call glorified. This is his glorification moment. He's in the spotlight. He's, he's returning to the Father at the right hand of the Father in heaven, reigning and ruling for all of eternity, the, in glory. Maybe later, uh, read John chapter 17, verses one through five. It's a prayer that he prays talking about, I have glorified you on this earth. Now I'm asking that you would glorify me, return me to my spot of glory. He's talking about returning to his seat that he was in before he stepped into earth, right? So John 17, read that later, or you know, if you're bored now, go ahead and read that now. I, I don't know. But he's saying that his purpose in coming to this earth was to draw all people to himself, 
All people, verse 32, as for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. They wanna see him, and he's saying, not yet, but what I'm about to do, all people are gonna see me. I'm gonna be lifted up, I'm gonna be in the spotlight for all to, all to see, all eyes on me, right? Now, you gotta be careful here because he says all people will be drawn to him. That does not mean every single person on earth. He's not preaching universalism. He's not preaching that just in the end we all find God. That's not, that's not what he's saying here. He's talking about collectively both Jews and Gentiles being drawn to him. All nations, all people, all tribes, all tongues will all be represented in the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. Right? And so his death makes all that possible. His death, the, the path that he walks, makes it possible for people to see him in the spotlight for all eyes to be on him. And that's the request that they made. We wanna see Jesus. And it's the offer that's on the table for us this morning. For you and for me, you can see Jesus. You can know him personally and intimately through his death, through the path that he walked, the difficult path that he walked. You can see him. You can know him as your Lord. You can trust him as your savior. Even right now, as I'm talking, you can just in your heart, in your spirit, pray and confess your sin, ask him to save you. Scripture says he will, all right? But if you choose to accept that, you just need to know that the path is gonna be difficult. The path is going to be difficult. John Piper says it this way. He says that Jesus' death is our pardon. <laughs> Praise God for that but it's also our pattern, right? His death informs how we live. Does that make sense? His death informs how we live. So you and I, as his followers, we've seen him. We trust him as our savior. We believe in him. And now we follow his difficult path. Why? Well, to shine the spotlight on him so that the world will see, so that all will be drawn to him. And so, so, the, the next three paths that he mentions here, again, are confusing at first, but they're, they're meant for us, okay? They're meant for us. So number two, the path of death leads to fruit. The path of death leads to fruit. He says in verse 24, truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. And it's like, why is he all of a sudden talking about wheat? You know, they, they just asked to see Jesus. And now he's, he's given a lesson on like agriculture or something. Talking about, talking about wheat and seeds and how fruit is made and all that. What he's doing is Jesus is painting a picture. He's using an illustration to show a real truth that he's going to die. He's going to be buried. And through that, much fruit is going to come out of that. He's saying that through his death, many people like us are going to see, Right? We are the fruit that he's talking about here. Just like a seed produces a crop. I started thinking about that this week and, and, and in this text, like if a seed could talk, you know? If a seed had any say in this situation, don't you think they're gonna complain a little bit about having to be put in the ground? Like it's cold and it's dark and it's dirty in there, but if you could help that seed understand that the only way it's really gonna live out its purpose is for it to go in the ground. Make sense? And so as Jesus' followers, man, we follow his path. We, we die to yield fruit because people need to see Jesus. 
That's the, they're asking to see Jesus. And, and, and his plan A from the beginning, I don't know if you know this or not, his plan A for the salvation of the world is through his followers to, to shine a light, to live in such a way that people see Jesus in us. Matthew 28, it's one of the last things Jesus says to his disciples before he leaves this earth. He's telling, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, right? That is our assignment, that is our job, to live in such a way that the world would come to know him. They would be the fruit of his, of his death. So in order for that to happen, well, you and I have to be like that seed put in the ground. We've gotta die. We've gotta die to ourselves. Our will, our agenda, our plans, our sinful desires, all of it needs to be put to death daily. Why? So that he can be seen in us. So that he can be seen, right? So that they will see him lifted up in our lives and come to him. And so I think we should all ask ourselves here in this moment, like, does that describe how you live? Does that describe how you live? Are people being drawn to him because, because your life shines a spotlight on him so that all can see? Are they seeing him in you? And that path that he talks about then builds on the next idea, the next path. Number three, the path of losing leads to saving. The path of losing leads to saving. Look at verse 25. He says, the one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So that's kind of confusing, right? Like, did he just say we're supposed to hate our lives? Like, is he saying we're supposed to be depressed and anxious and just mad, <laughs> just hating life all the time? No, of course not. Life is, life is a good gift from God. It's a common grace thing that he gives to all people, believers or not, life. In fact, he says in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come so that you could have life and have it in abundance, right? What he's doing here is he's making it clear, he's making a clear distinction about how we are to view our lives. Like he uses the word love and hate, but he's not talking about emotions. Instead, he's talking about polar opposites. He's talking about extremes. Love and hate are on, they're polar opposite things. He's talking about the two extremes here, right? He's saying that there's an extreme difference in the life that you see in this world, the text says, and the eternal life that's coming. Our problem is we are so focused on what we can see and touch and hold and experience that we can't see past this little 70 or 80 years on this life and look to what he really has for us. The Zoe type of life, the eternal life, the meaning and purpose and quality of life that he comes to bring. We're just so focused on what's here because it's, it's tangible, right? And so we tend to focus all of our attention here and now. Have you ever seen like a little kid in a swimming pool and uh, they're just like hanging on to the edge? You know what I'm talking about? They're afraid to really get out and swim. And so they're just like, I'm, I'm right here. I've got this edge and I'm not going anywhere. And dad's standing there behind them like, come on, I'm right here. Like just swim out, just paddle. It's like two little paddles. You can come out here to me, right? And as soon as they do that, what happens? Well, they get real brave after that. <laughs> and they start paddling all over the pool in their little swim jacket thing. And you can't, you can't stop them because they finally realized how great the whole pool is. It's way better than just the side, you know? 
And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand here. He's trying to, he's trying to get us to let go of what is comfortable or tangible in order to experience all that he has for us, that eternal life that he comes to bring. So the destination is eternal life, eternal quality and purpose and meaning in life. And you can miss it by loving this life. If your focus is just your 70 or 80 years here on this earth, just being safe and comfortable, well, you're gonna miss it. That's what he's saying. You've gotta, you've gotta die to yourself. You've gotta die to your little dreams. You've gotta die to playing life safe. You gotta die to protecting your reputation. You gotta die to selfish, small living. You gotta die to stingy self-centeredness and you gotta die to empty pleasures. The path to seeing Jesus is by letting go of the things that you think matter in this world and understanding there's something far greater out there. And so in a sense, I'm hating this world because I understand I'm loving what he is, he's bringing. You can't hold on to both sides. Like you can't just walk down the middle path and try and hold this life in one hand and the eternal life that Jesus is bringing in the other. Like you can't be a fan of this world and also a fan of what he comes and his kingdom coming to bring. James 4, 4 would say, you adulterous people. Like don't you understand that, that friendship with the world is combat with God? Like you can't, you, you've got to choose. You can't just walk this weird path down the middle, but many people are doing that. And many people are going to miss out on seeing Jesus because they like their comfort, they like their desires, they like their stuff, and they like their plans more than him. You've got to be all in with Jesus. Let go of the edge, trust him completely, and you'll see him. The fourth path, finally, is this. The path of serving leads to honor. The path of serving leads to honor. Verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So the destination, the end goal, where we're walking, where we're heading is to be honored by the Father. And the path, the difficult path that we walk is serving and following Jesus. Serving is selfless, isn't it? We talked about that last week, talking about Martha and how she was a servant. Like serving is selfless. Serving is, is others centered. And, and that's what we see in Jesus, isn't it? In fact, that's what Paul says in Philippians chapter two. He talks about how Jesus is the ultimate example of servanthood. Philippians 2, 7 says, instead, he, talking about Jesus, emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when you and I, as his followers, whenever we follow him in that path and we die to ourself, well, we'll serve others. Like Jesus says that serving him involves following him. And, and how do you follow him? Well, you do what he did. Like how he interacted, how he treated people, how he, how he lived in this world. And also you serve him by following where he goes, which is to the cross of Calvary. Crucified with him daily, 
laying down my life, laying down my sinful uh, desires and everything about me that is not of him. I'm laying that down. I'm crucifying it daily with him at the cross. And if we follow that path of, of, self, of selfless service, right? Jesus says that the Father will honor us. Like he'll honor us. This is what you would call the doctrine of glorification. That one day, the final piece of our redemptive journey is we're gonna be in the kingdom of God face to face with him. First Corinthians chapter 15 talks about it. In a moment, we're gonna be changed and we're gonna be face to face with him. So not only in the end will we see him, but he sees us. That's the picture. The destination is glorious. The destination is in glory with our, with our God forever. But the path, the path is a little difficult. And so if I could like summarize everything that he is saying here in this text, again, kind of a weird answer, right? To say all that whenever they're just asking to see him. They just wanna have some lunch or some coffee with him and he's like, let me talk about wheat and stuff, you know? If I could summarize it, it's this. We wanna see Jesus in the spotlight. That's the destiny, that is the goal. We wanna see Jesus in the spotlight. That's like walking towards Cameron Indoor Stadium. Like it, that, that is where we're headed, that is the glorious moment. And when we finally get there, it's all worth it. It is all worth it, but the path is difficult. The path is a daily following of Jesus by dying to self every day, every day. So as we close, I wanna draw your eyes back to the first thing that Jesus said in all of this. And in his, in his answer to Philip and Andrew, bringing the request of the Greek people, saying they wanna see Jesus. This is how he says, this is how he starts it. He says in verse 23, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. The hour has come for the Son of Man. That's, that's his favorite title for himself, by the way. That's talking about Jesus. The, the hour has come for Jesus to be glorified. You ever been on a, a, a trip somewhere, like, especially if you have little kids in the car, and you're on a trip, and what are they asking the whole time? Are we there yet? <laughs> are we there? Are, are we still moving? <laughs> no, we're not there yet. That's what I always want to say. And so I, just, I always answer, like, in a little bit, just... Close your eyes and go to sleep. We'll be there faster. Anybody use that one? That's one of my favorite ones. There's all the time. Are we there yet? When are we going to be there? When are we going to be there? When are we going to? And so finally, they've, they've learned to watch my screen that has like Google Maps on there that talks about the destination, the estimated arrival time. You know what I mean? And so they're in the back and they're just counting down the minutes. Anytime a minute clicks off, they all like kind of celebrate. And, all right, only 17 more minutes, you know, and they do that for 17 more minutes. <laughs> And then we finally get closer and they're like, we're there. We are there. So several times in our study of John, we've seen Jesus say, my hour hasn't come yet. It's not my time. In a little bit, not yet, not yet. Like in chapter two at the wedding, whenever his mom comes to him and says, hey, we need some more wine. And Jesus says, Hey, woman, my, my time has not come yet. I always think that's funny. Like, imagine saying that to your mom. <laughs> it's not time yet, mom. That's not going to go over well. But that's what Jesus said. When he's in the treasury, chapter 8, you remember that story where Jesus is standing there under the lamps and he says, I am the light of the world. And um, it talks about how they wanted to arrest him. 
But John says in John 8, 20, he says, but, it, but his hour hadn't come yet. It wasn't time. It wasn't time yet. So Jesus has clearly been watching the clock. He's watching. He's counting down the minutes. And so don't miss what happens here. The Greeks show up and Jesus says, it's time. My hour, like the hour's come. It's time to do what I've come here to do. Now it's time. In fact, he says the word now twice in verse 31. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be kicked out. Now it's time. Why? Because the nations are coming to see him. And that's been his purpose from day one, that all people of all tribes, all tongues, all languages will be drawn to him. And now here they are. They're at the doorstep. And Jesus says, now it's time. And so I think as far as an application point for us, of course, we're going to die to self. And we're going we're to crucify ourselves daily and, and all that. But the why behind it is this. Like if we could summarize verse 23 and apply it to our lives, verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. If I could summarize that a little bit, it would be this. It's time for Jesus to be in the spotlight. It's time for Jesus to be in the spotlight. Why? Because the world needs to see him. The world is begging to see Jesus. And the answer he gives is they're gonna see him through us, following his path of dying to self daily so that he's lifted up for all to see, so that he and he alone is in the spotlight of our lives. That's the point of what's happening here. The path to seeing Jesus is not easy. It's not easy dying to self daily. It's not comfortable. But the destination is worth it. <laughs> the destination is worth it. And so two responses to this text. Two responses. Maybe you're hearing Jesus say to you this morning, it's time to surrender your life to him. It's time to trust him for salvation. It's time to finally quit playing games. It's time to trust him and him alone. Put him in the spotlight of your life. Trust him for salvation. Admit you are a sinner. Trust him for the salvation that he brings. Maybe he's saying it's time for you to do that. Know this, God loves you. His death was for you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you think about yourself, he loves you, he accepts you, he wants a relationship with you, his death was for you. So let's be clear, like step one is salvation. That, that there can be no, uh, that, that there must be salvation by Jesus before there can be imitation of Jesus, okay? So don't just think, oh, I guess, I guess you gotta start living like Jesus. No, first you gotta surrender to him. And maybe he's saying it's time for you to do that this morning. But probably for the majority of us in this room, you would probably identify as a Christian. You would probably say, I am a Christ follower. I've submitted my life to him. And if that's you, I would say he might be saying it's time to take this thing seriously. Live for him so that others can see him in you. So that they see him lifted high in the spotlight. In the same way that he died for you, now you gotta die for him. Now you gotta die for him. 
And so if you wanna see him as Lord and not just savior, you've gotta die to your will, die to your desires, die to your agenda, die to your path and follow his. But I promise you, if you do, if you walk that difficult path, it's worth it. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.